I'm exhausted. <laughs> I can't believe I used to do the fan morning show. I just saw Ailish and Cuthbert in here, and I didn't say a damn word about being tired today. Do I believe they stayed up for the entirety of that Vegas game? No comment. Do I believe that they'll stay up for it on Thursday? No comment. That show is a grind. It was a great time doing that show. I loved hanging out with Blake. I loved hanging out with Ailish. Um, but yeah, the, today was a reminder of that show because I woke up like <sighs> trauma, <laughs> trauma after these late night games. We did Leafs chat, the Leafs talk. See, Oof, this could be a roller coaster. This could be a dicey one. We did Leafs talk last night, Sam McKee and I, after the game. And then it hit me that Thursday is 10.30 and that somehow it will be later. And the thing is, you can't just turn your brain off when these games are done if you have to actively be doing a show. So I'm just laying there trying to go to sleep. Thoughts of, what am I doing with my life where I have to watch the hockey team play this way? There should be just a clause. When the Leafs decide to have those games, I said yesterday that the UFC has an obligation to tell people when there's an over-the-top injury that is truly going to affect a gambling line. I feel like the Leafs should do that too. They should just post it and go, hey, we're just going to have one of these ones tonight because this is now three. We're now the count for, what is it, 4-3? Yeah, that was game seven. We're at 4-3 for the Leafs caring versus just not even showing up. So that's nice. It's doing pretty good so far. Uh, playing more Leafs later in the show. I'm really excited to uh, get to chat to Keith Yandel today. Uh, still the NHL's Iron Man. Uh, guy that's now working for Sportsnet. Tons of stuff with him. Uh, I'm really curious to hear what he thinks the book is on the Leafs because when he was on the panel the other night, he was talking about their physicality. But yeah, just a, a listless performance from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Really nothing to... Like, yeah. The only positive is that the captain who got hurt wasn't too hurt. And I guess Samsonov was quality too. Raptors, though, much more positive evening. Tough, gritty, trying, accountability. The team that stands kind of in polar opposite to the Toronto Maple Leafs a lot of the times plays above their talent level, finds ways to get wins, exceeds expectations. That's the Toronto Raptors. And last night, a couple things really stuck out. One is just they clearly won the, the Lowry trade. That's done now. I, I don't even know what would have to happen for that not to be the case. You can argue with the process of the Lowry trade. We can still debate or discuss, look back on whether or not Masai should have moved him earlier. We can debate and discuss whether or not the Sixers rumors were true. I still don't know definitively either side of that. I've heard people in the know still say there was definitely an offer and there could have been Tyrese Maxey. And I've heard people say that it was absolutely conclusively never offered to them to get Tyrese, who clearly would have changed this franchise, I think, a little bit more um, than Precious Chua did. But 22 rebounds last night and just the effort level of Precious Chua getting up to face his former team. It'd be one thing if that's what I thought it was purely, but I don't think that's it. I think Precious Achua is just an incredibly high motor big who brings you a lot. And he just does give you flashes of, okay, this guy can be an NBA rotation player in an important playoff game. He's got good size. He's got great energy. They desperately need rebounding on this basketball team. 
and he's providing it for them. He can knock down an open shot. If he gets better finishing at the rim, which I have to believe is something that you can get better at. I don't know. Feel feels like one of those things like more closer to baseball where it, it's your kind of your approach. It's not as simple as I think weirdly working on your three-point shot, getting touch, getting feel. But who knows? If he can develop that, um, the world's his oyster because the kid can play. And yeah, Kyle Lowry, on the other hand, the Raptors, they, they got out at the right time. That's no shade at Kyle. It doesn't change anything for him and his legacy in the city. But yeah, um, there was a moment there when Lowry was leaving Toronto when you wondered, should the Raptors re-sign him if they can't get a lot back in a trade? And it turns out, uh, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. They made the right decision. They got a really strong big in Precious Achua, a nice foundational building block. I shouldn't say foundational, but just like a, a yeah, good building block. There's one negative from the Raptors game, though, for me. The defense is obviously great. They clearly have very strong pieces on the team, whether it's the role players or the emergence of Pascal Siakam. There's a lot of reason to be optimistic about Scotty Barnes's future. It's nice to see Chris Boucher come back yesterday, add a little bit of depth, add a little bit of front court depth, but that was a rock fight last night and Miami's a good defensive team, like nothing taken away from Miami, but the Raptors just don't put enough pressure on the rim for me. And, and this is going to continue to be the, the mystery or the puzzle piece for this team to unlock is how exactly they're going to get that. Because I, I don't see a lot of options on the team. I don't see a lot of, hey, this guy could be X. Like, a, a lot of their players are not going to be doing that. It, it's awesome when Fred and Pascal are doing their two-man game and the two of them are just kind of carrying the offense. It's great seeing OG and Obi knock down an open shot. Gary Trent Jr. can create off the dribble, but again, it's, it's more of a, a jump shot thing than it is anything at the rim. OG still struggles on his drives. Um, the ball handling just isn't quite there. You saw even yesterday with the offensive foul that he took late. Um, he can just be a little... He, he can just be a little bullish on his drives, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. But there's just not enough guys that get that rim pressure. And that's why they're going to continue to go into scoring droughts. And it's really, really hard to envision how the ceiling actually changes, even with Siakam playing as well as he does, if they can't figure out that part of the equation a little bit better. And so to me, the, the solution is still, or the idea is still trying to move off of a guy like Gary Trent Jr. and trying to package his contract or potentially Thad with him at some point in the year to try and address that, to try to get a little bit better at that. But this is just not going to be, I think, a, a sustainable model. And I think that what you're going to end up seeing is a pretty close to repeat performance come playoff time when it comes to their offense, that if Pascal Siakam has an off night, it's going to be incredibly difficult for this team to score. And do I like Siakam? Do I love seeing the growth? Yes, but it's, this is, you're seeing this in Brooklyn right now. Like they have two guys who can score. And I guess they can't get stops, but what happened in that playoff series last year with Brooklyn when KD couldn't get his buckets, 
when a good defensive team like the Boston Celtics clamped down on them. It totally changed the series. So that's kind of how I see the Raps right now. Really good team, incredibly well coached. A little bit more depth, I hope, when they're fully healthy. A very long team, obviously. That's what we knew that they were going to be. A team that plays well with one another, that does have team chemistry, but a little bit, just too much iso ball. Too much, hey, Siakam, here's the ball. Try to figure it out. Some other guys get to take their turn, but just not enough of it at the rim or at the free throw line. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and talk to Michael Grange. Sportsnet 590. No, Pete, sweet Pete, has, you kind of got a bit of a perpetual cough. It's like you were sick, like, literally the day you showed up for work, uh, the first day that you came in here, and it's just kind of continued for you. Um, I, I worry sometimes. You are very young, so I think you'll probably be fine. I don't know if it's your erratic hours. I don't know if it's your iced coffee addiction, what exactly it is, but it reminded me of something that really pissed me off this morning on the train. Um girl that's it's a pack train and she's sitting down in front of me and she's wearing a mask but she's coughing into the mask and not covering her face and listen we're all very adept in terms of mask knowledge right now right like it's just like a cloth mask and she's like coughing into it and it's i'm standing right in front of her i'm going like you're coffee dummy ma'am you're like this is a direct this is assault this was if peak covid times you go to jail for this and you're just doing this right in front of me i i couldn't shake it i was i was choked and i actually don't care right like you know i'm pretty uh yeah uh, you know like i'm not wearing a mask on the train so i'm not taking my own whatever max protection into account here but i think that you know maybe just a little uh civility from the people out here mask is not covering a cough can we all agree? Mask is not covering a cough. Anyways, Michael Grange joins us now, finally. Hey, you work up a sweat getting back to your hotel room? What's up? I did. I was out wandering around literally like the ad, like with my phone in the air, going yeah. trying to find a bar. Or like, yeah. and, and for once, not a bar, but bars for yeah. my cell service. <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah, say, yeah. that's pretty dark if it's 9 a.m., you know, that you're like, <laughs> hey, we're going to keep it going. Like, I know it's fun to be in Miami for as long as you guys were, but yeah, shut it down. <laughs> yeah, no, not a problem. Not so, a problem. So, so anyway, I apologize. But, yeah, all good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually talking on the hotel handset. I love and that. And the, uh, the age we're in, I probably haven't used a hotel handset in like a decade. I'm for and, um And your producer, uh-huh. who was very, worked very hard to actually make this happen, um, he, want, he was like, well, give me the number of the hotel. And I'm looking around. There's no phone number for the hotel. Like there's no like pad with the number on it. It's like. We've, we've moved beyond all that because everyone's yeah. cell phone works except mine. Yeah, I feel like go. whoever, like if you're using the hotel phone for non-room service or to call for a wake-up call, which again, who's even doing the wake-up call thing anymore? Like you just set exactly. multiple alarms on your phone. They, what are they even doing down there at the front desk after they stop checking people in? You know, what are they even doing? We got to ask the question, what are the front desk people up to these days? I used to work front desk. Uh, it was tough. I got fired. That's well, the only I, job I've actually I ever been fired like, from. It was actually like a person who made the the uh, wake. Like that, that was a big advance when the wake up yeah. call became automated. 
Yeah. But for I've been doing this long enough that it was actually some poor soul would actually, hi, this is your wake-up call. And I go, uh, yeah. All right, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, uh, I think that, yeah, I was going to say that you probably get some stories doing that, but no, you don't. You just hear the same thing over and over again. It's just like, oh, thank you, like, and then quick hang up. Like, that's, <laughs> that's all you ever got. You never got a good story in that. Um, but speaking of stories, I did want to start with this today. So yesterday, Phil Kessel ties the NHL Ironman streak, and I was talking with Ennis about how there are certain athletes that when another athlete or a coach or a GM, whatever, someone in that orbit, has a story to tell about a certain player, you stop dead in your tracks. Or you as a host of a show, or you as a reporter, a journalist, a a columnist, whatever, if you get an opportunity to ask about a certain athlete, you just have to do it because you know the story might be a good one. I'm going to be a bit of a jerk in setting you up for this question and telling you that you cannot answer Marc Gasol because I know how much you love Marc Gasol. And so I thought this might just be your immediate answer. But... Who is that guy for you? Like the Phil Kessel guy who doesn't really love the limelight, but whenever we get that little morsel of, oh, here's a story of this athlete, you stop and you go, I can't wait to listen to this. Well, I don't know if it would be Marcus Gasol, right. actually. I, I don't really, uh, appreciate Marcus Gasol, but um, I still have that Celtic series in my head. So, um, the, um, I mean, look, like, a, you know, any Kyle Lowry story, your ears always perk up just because he's, you know, he's, he's kind of contains multitudes for mm-hmm. sure. And, you know, they're always going to be kind of funny or a little bit uh, sort of not what you would expect, mm-hmm. good or bad. No, mostly good, actually, because you guys kind of think he's, he's actually, you know, um, the, the stories I've heard have always been like, oh, really? Oh, okay. He is a good dude. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I like how that's he, always the reaction, though, no matter how many you hear. He's really good, eh? Like, mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, yeah. No. Um, so, yeah, I'm terrible at these kinds of things. I can never think on my feet. Um, so let me think. No. Yeah, we can I, come I, back I, to it. If you think about something, yeah, we can come back, back to it. it. We sorry. can come back yeah. to it. No, no. But I agree I, with your premise. Any Phil Kessel story is a good Phil Kessel story. I yeah. would I would totally accept that that premise. Yeah, to the degree that some people have made them up. <laughs> They're like, you know what? Uh, we're <laughs> just gonna. It was believable. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like nobody was going. That's impossible. He yeah. would never do that. Uh, come on. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. You think he yeah. never stopped at that stand? <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, let's just go with that one. Uh, all right, so. Uh, fun. I uh, actually, I'm not going to say fun Raptors game. Nice comeback. Nice moment for Precious Achua. Um, I thought that even having Siakam be overloaded the way that he was in that game, where they just went, "Yeah, we're going to try to take care of you defensively," that he's still able to put up the stat line he did. It really does say something. But uh, I, I am going to start with a little bit of a. I don't want to say a negative, but a, criti- a critique of the Raptors today because this this is a good Miami Heat team. The Raptors are a good defensive team. They're the team that can just hang with any good team. But the thing I couldn't shake about last night is the Raptors' just inability to put pressure on the rim. And I know that Scotty Barnes is out of the lineup and you're going to get him back. And when he's healthy, that does give you another guy that can get his way to certain spots on the floor. But this Raptors team has had a few scoring droughts so far this season. And there's just obviously, just like a lot of NBA teams, a a heavy reliance on three-point shots. They can clearly get a lot of good looks when Siakam has the ball. And we'll talk about him in in a good way in a second here. But how do they improve in that area? Because it's really hard for me to stretch and see or understand how with like this current roster, that that is going to be something that improves in a, in a meaningful way throughout the course of the year. Yeah, it's a fair question. And, and I think um, it's a little bit of a feature if, you know, your primary ball handler in Fred Van Vliet is, 
is your primary ball handler. Like, like yeah. they, I mean, there's, there's a couple of factors in that. Is one, they don't play a lot of pick and roll. And so, um, and that's a little bit representative of the fact that they, they kind of don't have a great, personnel grouping to play pick and roll. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll see if Christian Coloco turns into um, something, but I, you know, he's not certainly not a guy that people are terrified of, of on the roll yet. And, and, you know, he's got a long way to go. And, you know, so I think that's the most basic formula for putting pressure on the rim is you have a really uh, tough to contain point guard and a really good uh, roller and you put them in, you know, one five pick and roll over and over again, and 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 that kind of, you know, eventually something gives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they don't really have; they're not really built that way. And um, you know, I think they've been doing a little bit more pick and roll, especially with Coloco in the lineup with Fred. But it doesn't generally yield those lightning downhill attacks at the basket and and all the good things that come from come from that. So. Um, you know, it's definitely been a point of emphasis. I think Siakam is, uh, you know, last night notwithstanding, he's still got to line eight times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been an emphasis of his, is to get into the paint and get fouled and get to the line and put pressure on the rim that way. But, um, you know, uh, uh, there's things you can do. I, I think Preston Sichua is a guy, I mean, Nick Nurse was re- making references, is, is trying to get him, uh, the ball going downhill with speed. I mean, the guy's really unstoppable um, once he gets, you know, one dribble going. Um, but again, he's not a guy who's going to initiate that from a standing start. So, you know, I think the answer to your question is there. I don't really see that they're going to be a great team at putting pressure at the rim. I mean, they can make a point of it. They can mm-hmm. make adjustments to do it better, but, you know, personnel-wise, they're not just not really constructed that way right now. Yeah, doesn't mean they can't get in the paint. Doesn't mean they can't collapse defenses. And you know, we'll see if they've got the shooting to take to take advantage of that. But their version of putting pressure on the rim is creating a ton of turnovers and and doing it in transition. Yeah, um, I I think that that's the issue is the personnel in terms of being able to do it. You have guards that don't really get get to the rim. You have Siakam, who's been, again, a revelation this season, and I love his, the way that he has attacked the basket. I love the way that he's getting to the free throw line. One of my biggest criticisms as a, as a player over the last couple of years as a guy who initiated scoring for this team was he had that tendency to do the move where he would kind of flip the ball up and fall away from the basket and do the, like, ah, thing, and then it would be the other team breaking out in transition if they didn't get a free throw. And now it just looks like, yeah, he's not... Uh, as tentative going to the rim. It's a huge adjustment. Like, as much as it has been the improved footwork in the mid-range game and the efficiency from there or the confidence from there, to me, like, yeah, him getting to the basket is so incredibly important. And he's kind of like an Alec Manoa-type guy where you don't really worry about the innings too much. Um, you don't really worry about the minutes with Pascal Siakam. Like, I don't, I don't have thoughts about it the way that I do with, like, Fred Van Vliet, for example, or with OG Ananobi or... The way people did when, uh, yeah, it was Kyle Lowry or Kawhi Leonard. He's sort of just, how many minutes did he play? Yeah, who who really cares? Until he shows some signs of fatigue from a regular season or anything like that, I, I don't think that it's going to be a major story. But it is tough when he is the one guy who does that for you, and then there isn't much else. And it brought me to the other thing, which is, okay, I'm not really sure why they don't use OG in more pick-and-roll situations. It feels like something that you would want to explore more. But the other one is precious because he's an obvious guy because the athleticism, um, the screen setting, all these different things lead you to believe that like he should be able to be a, like really adept at this. 
but he doesn't really have great hands. He doesn't really have great touch. He's a bit of a salmon hand guy, which is weird because he just came off of a 22-rebound game where it's like, yeah, it's about squeezing the basketball. Do you think that's something that you can develop? I was just I was thinking about this this morning, kind of like it's like in baseball trying to get more walks. Like, can you get better hands, better feel around a rim? Um, you can definitely, well, obviously you can improve. You can improve everything. And, and it's funny, I always think of, uh, you know, Jay Triano when he was an assistant with the Raptors and, and he would work with Chris Bosh and they had like this, this drill they would do over and over again where they would just feed him, like Jay would have two balls in his hands at all times and he would just throw like just rifle passes <laughs> at Bosh. Um, I love this drill. Instant, this is a great drill. You know, and the, like he would rifle a pass, and then he would he would, Bosch would get into his move, and then the second he finishes his move, he'd come back and he have to catch another pass. Like they just, it was just make make him catch the ball uh, in difficult situations over and over and over again. And um, how, but how much measurably can you improve those things? I don't know. I always mm-hmm. think that that when guys athletes at this level, when we say they have bad hands or whatever it might be, I think so much of it is that they have bad eyes, so to speak. And what, they, and what I mean is they, they just, the game is still moving a little quickly, so they're not in that kind of nice comfort zone where they're catching the ball relaxed because they know what they're going to do next. They're not um, feeling pressure or urgency. And, and so, you know, I think a guy like Preston Sichua, um you know, he's still very young in his basketball life. Like he came in, came to the game late and, you know, it's only his third NBA season. And so I would hope as athletic as he is that, you know, as the game slows down for him, his hands get softer. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's the more likely scenario than actually, you know, um, actually learning how to, to catch better. And, and it sometimes it's a footwork thing too, right? It's, it's, uh, it's not just getting the ball, it's getting the ball on your feet. Um, in sequence, and so you would think that could that could be improved too. I like that. I'm I'm definitely gonna anytime he uh, lets a pass go through his hands uh, when he's open at the rim or when he uh, misses a bunny. That's what I'm gonna think in my head now. Is bad eyes? Those are those are his bad <laughs> eyes again, just acting up. <laughs> Rub your oh, eyes, yeah. precious. Like come I think on, a lot of it's just anxiousness. Right? Yeah. It's like you're in that you're you know you're down on the basket and and near the hoop and and you're just. You know, you're just in a rush to get it off the floor. And, mm-hmm. and when, you know, I would just make everyone lock themselves in a room and watch DeRon DeRozan and go, mm-hmm. you don't have to be in a rush. <laughs> you know, it's going to be okay. And, uh, and that's, um, you know, that, that, that would be one, step one. So Siakam passes Vince in games played for the Raptors, 10th all time now. It, it did get me thinking, and I, I know that we do this conversation like far too frequently with this team in particular. Like I, I thought about it even last night in reference to the Leafs. Like, and maybe this is a statement on or an indictment on how many great players the Leafs have had uh, <laughs> since the '90s. But where do you think he can finish in terms of like the the greatest players to ever be a part of this franchise? Well, I think he's going to be top three. Yeah, you know what I mean, like. Like, how many guys have been two-time NBA, All-NBA as a Raptor? Right? Exactly. Like uh, I think he's the only one. Or I guess DeMar, I think. DeMar is the other one. Um, so right now, I mean, I'd probably have him pass beyond Bosch. Like, let's presume he has a, continues what he's shown and he ends up either All-NBA, All-Star, or some combination of those. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, he's probably done more as a Raptor than Bosch ever did. And he has in terms of just playoff games. 100%. Playoff games played. Um, 
you know, and I would probably put him beyond Vince, right? Like, I mean, Vince, he was kind of, uh, you know, he was a shooting star, right? Like, he had two, two just absolutely incredible seasons. They happen to be the best two seasons of a 22-year career, and then a couple of other really good seasons, and that was it. But, again, not really a ton of playoff success. So, I mean, right now you could probably say he's ahead of him. I think after this season he's going to be ahead of him. And so you really get to um, Kyle and DeMar, right? And, uh, you know, and I think it, it, it's a little hard to pass those guys now. Mm. But let's say, well, just, you know, like, but let's just say this team does what, you know, some people think it can do and they maybe can do and get to a conference final, right? Yeah. Like, if they did that this year, and, and it, it would have to be because Siakam was a top-ten player in the league, and, you know, he won them a playoff series or two, like, yeah, he's, he's probably right there already in top three. Yeah, I agree. And so the Vince thing is so difficult because it's layered, right? You go, well, Vince was this, and he grew the game, and... It's like, no, 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 just take that out of it. Like, just, like, what he actually accomplished on the court with the Raptors. Um, I think that you could still make the case, uh, and you still should make the case that, um, yeah, him at his very highest, what's that worth versus someone at their highest when um, the peak is greater, which I do still think it was with Vince. Like, you have to compare him to the contemporaries, all that different stuff. And I think that still was the case with Vince. But by the end of his career with the Raps, assuming something doesn't go awry, I just have a hard time seeing Siakam not as the number two behind Lowry. Like, to me, passing DeRozan, like, he's a better player than DeRozan. He, he is. <laughs> he's a really good defensive well, I mean, player. He, yeah, he's, he's a more well-rounded player. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's shown an ability to do things. You know, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say, right? Like, like I would agree generally, yes. Mm -hmm. But then you look at, uh, was, he, was he a better player than, Lowry, than DeRozan last year? Like, probably, but, yeah. like, DeRozan's still pretty damn good. So. Dude, DeRozan's great. Um, DeRozan's great. I, I, don't want, I don't want this to sound like, uh, I actually, this is a weird one for me because during DeRozan's tenure as a Raptor, I was a big-time DeRozan defender. Like, you'd go and sit in the, in the seats at the games, and this is what's always hilarious to me, is it's a bit of a revisionist history with him. You'd go to a Raptors game, you'd sit in the seats, and you know what people would bitch about the entire time? DeRozan. Any bad DeRozan possession, people would be outraged. He had a real moment where fans were just so incredibly frustrated with him. And I think, and this is just like, it's just, this is my opinion, I think there's a little bit of revisionist history with DeRozan's time here because he's such a great guy, and he ended up having to be the the sacrificial lamb for the championship, right? The guy who was family, the guy who embraced Toronto, the first star player that really did want to be here. And like Kyle didn't want to be here the entire time. DeRozan, there was never a report. Uh, there was never a whiff of this guy might want to go on to greener pastures. There's nothing, right? Like even that free agency, remember the, the Lakers thing about uh, mm. the, them trying to make their pitch? Like that, that was why. And I think that people try to look back and place DeRozan a little higher than he should be simply because we all have like this collective Toronto guilt where we go, how could we turn our backs on this guy? Like he has to get his flowers in some way. He has to get his credit in some way. And I think he deserves that because I truly believe he helped build up that foundation for the championship beyond, you know, just the trade itself. He did have a lasting impact on Toronto. But when I think about just, you know, who would I rather have DeMar DeRozan or Pascal Siakam in both of their primes? Like it's a no brainer for me when I'm watching this version of Siakam. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in what you say there. And, and I think another thing that, that influences me a little bit is 
is he his game kept developing? I think if you know, I don't have the the lines right in front of me, but mm-hmm. he he really his playmaking really emerged in his last couple of years, um, and then he goes to the Spurs, and then all of a sudden he's uh, you know in the last three four years he's like a you know a seven assist a night guy, yep. and his efficiency just keeps climbing and climbing and climbing, and and so you know I think that's kind of. A, in my mind as, as well when I think about DeMar DeRozan. But look, they traded him for a very specific reason. He was not at all an effective defensive player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think they had they had a sense that he also had his own blocks or hurdles in terms of going up against the very, very, very best in the league. And, it, you know, it, in this case, it turned out to be LeBron over and over again. But, um, and, and I think that they had just made a conclusion, you know, that they had reached their ceiling with him. And as much as I love DeMar DeRozan, as much as he's continued to grow as a player, you know, the, you know, it's, it's not like he's gone on and lifted teams um, from here. So, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think they made, I think we can all agree it was the right decision at the time. Yeah. Um, I just think when you're describing DeRozan as a guy who's like continues to improve, that's also Siakam. Like sure. every yeah. year it's like this guy adds another layer to his game. And every time I kind of think, okay, he has peaked, all right? Like, we, we have figured out sort of who he is as a guy. He shows up this year, and the scoring package is far more refined. And there really does seem to be, like, you know, I, one quote that will always stick with me about Siakam is uh, the year he came, I think it was out of the bubble, where he talked about wanting to play with joy again. Or no, it was going into the, the Miami season uh, because he had struggled in the bubble. He came back. He talked about wanting to find joy again. And, and I'm just watching this guy out here who really starts, who really feels like he's establishing his place in the game. Like, I like that other players are talking about him. Like, I liked the Kyrie quote about him the other night. I like the way that he stacks up against, like, this has been good competition. There have been really good players that have been on the court with Siakam for these few, first few games. And it's just very clear where he stands among these guys. And maybe some of it isn't going to translate as well to the playoffs, but I would also argue that if he did have other creators around him or, you know, like we could put Scotty Barnes in a time machine and see what he was three years from now, maybe we wouldn't be having the conversations that we would to this degree. But yeah, I guess like the reason I even bring this up is I I just think that there's a weird thing with Siakam because he was the inheritor of uh, the expectations after Kawhi that he had to sort of split the... Kyle Lowry, whose team is this, because he has had some struggles in the past uh, when it comes to playoff time, that there is almost like a lack of willingness to embrace this guy with the same full love that DeRozan ended up getting post-career, that Lowry has gotten, that so many Raptors have gotten, right? I just, I'm, I can't really quite put my finger on it. People like Siakam. Raptors fans acknowledge that he's a really good player. But even when you look at the season, so much of it leading into it was, hey, what can Scotty Barnes be? What's the Scotty Barnes development? And it's like, this is their guy. Like, Siakam is their guy. It's, it's not Scotty Barnes. That might come someday. But right now, the, the divide between the two players is, is it's the, it's, yeah, it's a canyon. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no doubt, and um, you know, I, I think maybe some of that is, and I would say, you know, like, look, I, I think the nature of that beast is always going to be, and until you win, and Siakam has been part of a winning team or a big part of a winning team, but until you, mm-hmm. um, there's always going to be questions and 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 comments until it's unassailably done right yep. and so like Kyle Lowry like like there were moments early and at points in his career when he wasn't as appreciated 
I think I always think that the fan base had to learn, you know, what Kyle Lowry did, you know, on those nights when he was four of sixteen, and but somehow still plus twelve on the box score, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a, you know, there's a level of appreciation that develops. And as you point out, with Demar Derozan, as good as he was, there was still yeah, but. And so I think with Siakam, he's as you say, like he's or we say, like he's probably is if he's not already the top one of the top three Raptors of all time. Um, you know, he he is not that far from removed from you know the horrible playoff in in uh, that ended up in the bubble. Yep. And then a terrible season in Tampa by his standards. And last season was half a season of excellence. You know. Yep. And there was good reason for that. No one's criticizing for him for, for it. But it's, there's still like he still hasn't had that definitive. Oh my God, this guy's a monster, and he's you know, and he looks like he's well on his way to doing that. And I think the capper of that is always, um, you know, if you're in a first round series and look what looks like it's inevitably going to be a very tough first round series, no matter who you play. Um, you know, can you deliver in game six and seven and, and get you into the next round? And when you start putting in a season like that and performances like that together, everyone just shuts up, yeah. right? But until then, you know, people always want to say something and there's something to talk about, and that's, that's just the nature of the beast. But, um, you know, he's uh, you're right. His game is growing, and we're seeing a guy who I don't think we have seen his ceiling. And uh, where he is right now is pretty darn good. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm enjoying watching him play uh, immensely. Uh, I think maybe as you can tell, and you're right, and and those points are are very well taken. And yeah, this is also the other guys have the advantage of nostalgia too. That I haven't. It's like people look back more fondly. You tend to remember. It's like a breakup. You know, when you break up with somebody, you're like, oh, I miss this about that. And it's like, yeah, you don't really remember as much the things why you broke up. And I think that's sort of the way that we look back on certain things like Vince Carter, especially now where it's like, you know, it's all your fault. You went on that Vince Carter documentary and everyone was like, it wasn't his fault. He actually wanted to stay everybody. I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, not you. But yeah, it was like, we do look at it very differently now than what it was in the time. Let me say that. What? Drake told me to say that. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys all got coerced into making the, the Vince propaganda movie. It's all right. It's all right. You were on the, you got your time on the Netflix front cover, right? Like, it was, it was all right. It was worth it. But, yeah, I just, Siakam is in the now, and it's a bit of a prisoner of the moment thing. But I do think that whenever his time with the Raptors is done, and we are a couple of years removed from it like those other guys, I think that he, he probably will get that appreciation. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk to you about two guys quickly, uh, two of your favorites before we go. Um, so right now, Tom Brady is, yeah, he's like aging on the job. It's kind of painful to watch this, uh, him stand at the podium after getting hit, knowing that his kind of, and, and his is, I guess, different because his life is falling apart. Um, but it is a, you know, potentially a relationship gone awry. And I feel like that is also kind of applicable to LeBron James where it's like, you know, he wants the divorce, but he just like, he can't get it. He can't get, uh, Giselle to move out of the house. (laughs) He's got Russell Westbrook just there every single day. And it's ugly. Like it's really, really ugly. And you know, you look at this Lakers team and it's, you know, LeBron owns some culpability in this for sure, but it's a really, really bad basketball team. And now it's an aging LeBron and Davis who they're going to try to keep healthy. Just as a basketball fan, how hard is it for you to watch this? Because, like, I kind of do take pleasure in the Westbrook things at times, but then I also get balanced out by the sadness of knowing that, yeah, the greatest player that I've ever watched the entire career of 
is, yeah, sort of feels like he's going to go out with a whimper and chasing stat lines. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, I, I think it's the problem with LeBron and in these kind of conversations is it's not like Le, and this happened to LeBron. Exactly. Right? It, 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 that's, that's always the, the caveat is, is um, you know, he's the epitome of, of player empowerment, which is generally a very good thing, and, and he his greatness kind of allowed him to dictate his circumstance to an extent. I don't know if we've ever seen, you know, with an athlete before, but there, there's still constrictions and, and, and limits, right? Because the league is not a completely free market. And so you kind of, he, we've seen this with him multiple times in his career where he's kind of put himself in a tough situation because of uh, either player moves that he kind of, if he didn't specifically, you know, kind of dial them up, it was like his displeasure put pressure on an organization to make these changes. And, you know, and then there's kind of long-term ramifications to that because it's always, the decisions are always made in the now. And it's just amazing in this Lakers situation. Um, and I haven't done it, but I mean, off the top of my head, if you look at what the environment was like, if he had just like, just kind of, said, you know what, I'm here for five years in L.A., mm-hmm. let's grow this group mm-hmm. <laughs> right? of young players. There's some interesting young players here. And while you could have Josh Hart on your team, you could have Brandon Ingram on your team, you could have Lonzo Ball on your team, like let's presume Lonzo Ball's healthy, you could have uh, Iveka Zubak on your team, <laughs> right? And you'd still have all the cast space in the world and all the draft picks in the world and – Wow, that'd be a pretty amazing team. Granger, I'd <laughs> argue like... I'd argue that right now today, where Brandon Ingram is at alone is like like who would you rather have right now? Ingram or A D? Yeah, oh yeah. No, I, I, I just can't trust A D. That's my Yeah, problem. that's what I mean. It's like it's, uh... it, it's like even if you just remove all the other pieces and it's like now they're gonna have to use two first round picks to get off of the Westbrook contract too. Like yeah, the well, totality and, of this yeah, is gonna and be the crazy thing is is like not only did they go through that cycle once to get A D, yeah. which in fairness, like A D was is yeah. and was A D. Sure, like it's sure. not like it was and they won a title and you eh, know, um, a but, kind uh, of a title. But then they did it again, right? And so you win a title. Yeah. And, like, I'm watching Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope, like, run around and get hit by lasers with, uh, you know, in Denver from Jokic and just bang down three after three after three. I'm like, wow, yeah, he's a pretty good defender. Jeez, he'd be good. Yeah. You're like, how do you do that? You know, Kyle Kuzma, like, how would he? He'd be a pretty good sixth man, wouldn't he? Yeah. Like, you just kind of, like, you just, that's what really boggles. And so... Um, it is a little, I, I accept your point. Like it'd be pretty cool if LeBron could kind of end up winning, you know, his sixth or seventh title and, uh, just, just complete what's already been obviously one of the one or two best careers. And well, it's not going to be the number one career. I think in the league, it's probably going to be one a, um, then, you know, the point is he could have had the unassailably best career ever, right? Yep. Like he could have gone out of this with, you know, this you know, all time scoring championship, you know, six or seven titles, and, you know, you just have to lay it at his feet. And, and, and you know, again, I'd be more sad, I guess, or, or sympathetic if you didn't know that he was as much a part of the problems that are in L.A. as, as any single manager. He should be the number one lesson to any athlete who wants to have, like, input 
or too much input on a franchise. They should roll the tape of Aaron Rodgers saying that they should have brought back Jordy Nelson, who was like out of the league. <laughs> it was like just done and going, why did we bring back Jordy Nelson? You go, because he's retired, Aaron. And you should roll the tape of LeBron and every single move and all of the like the, the trade trees of <laughs> things LeBron has done over his tenure as the GM, as the GM. He's the worst of all time. Like they need like, there's the Stepien rule about trading the back-to-back first round picks. They need like a LeBron rule for players where it's like, no, you can't exert that much influence over a general manager, uh, regardless of how like, good the players. Like, isn't it like, don't they have ten or eleven guys from from clutch on the Lakers? Like, it's like I should know that, I guess, but yeah. it's like, it's un like you cannot not let them off the hook on that. No, you can't. Is is and it's not only just the players that get moved; it's that the players that are there get destabilized all the time because it's it's always like, well, you know, there's always these kind of passive aggressive. Of well, we need to make some changes, or you know, you know, like the people who are working with them. And I remember when when it was Julius Randle and Brandon Ingram and and, and he quit on know, them, Lonzo Ball, and like yeah, he just like I remember Julius yeah. Randle just being like crushed by LeBron, and you know, fairly or not, like you know, Julius Randle's Julius Randle, but um, it's not like he's in that environment trying to uplift them all to the point where they can reach their best. And you think the power that LeBron could have in doing that. Um, would be the most ever, right? Like, yep. you know, like if LeBron says you're great, yeah, maybe I'm great. You know what I mean? And uh, and he doesn't. That's not. That's not really been his way. He kind of favors his people he knows, veterans, et cetera, et cetera. And and uh, that can only work for so long. And in LA, it hasn't really worked at all. Yeah, I think that the bubble title again is going to go down in history. Is not. Um a real chip in his favor when we talk about the greatest athletes of all time, especially since he overplayed his hand with the whole, this was the hardest championship to ever win. You went, oh, I don't know. Seems like it wasn't. <laughs> Seems like if you look back on, like for the people who nitpicked the Raptors title, uh, let's just look, let's look back on who LeBron beat to get there. And yeah, the fact that like he was basically the guy going, we need to do this right now. We need to make this bubble. We need to make this happen. And then he ends up facing a heat team that was, basically uh jimmy butler on one leg um yeah I, I just think that this is going to impact his legacy and this is going to be something that we all point to and go yeah um it's essential it's going to be like an elongated version of his wizards and i, I just don't think we're going to count that championship that much uh last one and speaking of uh, the player empowerment uh thing going wrong um has steve nash texted you like what his life is like right now because I, I just can't like did he just she should have just allowed KD and co to fire him that would have been better I would have just wanted the money and the freedom to be away from that situation the Nets are reportedly dead last in ticket sales which is yeah probably a pretty good market indication of a team that you know doesn't have a real stake in New York anyways but also of fans going why the hell would we invest in a group that isn't even investing uh one iota in our city yeah, I didn't know that. That's um, that's remarkable. Um, all I can say is, is you know, I did get a chance to talk with Steve a little bit when I was in Brooklyn, and you know, he certainly put on a pretty good front. Like, I mean, he really seemed very sincere about about um, you know about about the way things had gone in camp, and and mm. like he was very you know, and I from the minute like KD went off or like his people, whoever kind of said we're gonna we need to fire these guys, you know, I knew that that was not a big deal for Steve Nash, right? Like I mean, that, that's one thing you can't underestimate is he was in the NBA for 18 years, and like he's I, I promise you he's seen and dealt with craziest crazier stuff, so that I wasn't 
phased about, but it's, you know, it's would guys buy in when they got to work. And Steve's version publicly and privately to me is, yeah, it's been great. And that the, the only issue was, you know, how soon can Ben Simmons become the player he's capable of becoming? And that would kind of unlock everything, and it's just going to be—it's just going to take some time and patience because the guy hasn't played for 18 months and whatever. Um, that's that's what he said to me. That's what I've seen. However, like I mean, I've definitely heard stuff. And when I was in Brooklyn, like people, anyone whose kind of job is to be around that team was like, man, he's already on. You know, he's if they go one and seven, he's gone, right? Like mm-hmm. that, the win that they got over the Raptors on the Friday was huge, <laughs> which is crazy because it was the second game of the year. And then you've also heard stuff about that locker room just not being, you know, cohesive. And um, so uh, I think I, knowing him, um, I think he really, really wants to try and make this through. Like, I don't think he likes the idea of being deemed a failure or having not been able to pull this off. But also, you know, if about a week after if he does get fired, like, he'll be like, you know what, I've made – I got 45 million guaranteed and I'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I mean, I don't, like, I don't think he wants to fail. I think he's a very proud guy and um, I'm sure, you know, given the right circumstance, he could be an excellent coach. Um, I just think this, the irony being is that circumstance was supposed to be Brooklyn. Like people were very almost angry or jealous of Steve Nash getting that job because it was so cush and uh, it's just turned out to be like, you know, probably the worst job in the league. Yeah, people thought it was automatic championships, um, that he was at least going to get one, uh, especially when Harden went there and it felt like the deck had been completely stacked and we were going back to an era of like how we had felt with Golden State for a minute there where it was just, okay, um, we really have to talk ourselves into this being competitive or this being all that entertaining or how is this going to affect KD? And boy, for it to go this way is astounding. And I guess like the the only other question I wanted to ask you about Nash is, do you think that let's like assuming he is fired because I don't know, it's just hard not to see that when Ben Simmons has started the year the way that he has. And yeah, that team just looks the way that they do. Do you think he'll want to coach again? I, I can't, I don't know. I mean, I suspect he would, I suspect he would like, why you know, I was very surprised he got into it in the first place. Um, you know, and I think once he's in, he's kind of been into it and he's stuck with it and, um, you know, I think he would in the right situation. Yeah, I think he probably would. I mean, it'd be interesting. He might have to go and do like the assistant thing for a little bit and, mm-hmm. and kind of separate himself from this Brooklyn mess for a little while. But, um, you know, I still think he's got the marks of being a great coach. I don't think anyone ever thought he didn't. It was just, no one ever thought he'd want to put himself through it. And I guess the upside would be the next job would not be this. Like there's no chance it could be as crazy as this has been. But, um, you know, but he certainly doesn't need it. So we'll see. I mean, I think it's, uh, I think that's a great question and, and I can't give you a good answer, but, um, I kind of think he would, I kind of, you know, just by nature, like just to leave a mess like this. And I, I'm sure there'd be an olive in him of him that would want to prove people, um, wrong and, um, you know, would see if he gets the chance. Yeah. For a guy who, um, has the work ethic of Steve Nash. Um, it's hard to envision him walking away from coaching or being satisfied with his tenure as a guy in the NBA being that one. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that if it does happen, if it does go that way, 
that we do see him on a bench again. Uh, Grange, thanks for making time today. I appreciate you uh, running back and using that uh, possibly filthy headset. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> All right. Thanks, JD. Take care. Michael Grange, uh, senior columnist for Sportsnet. Yeah, um, he's right about the LeBron thing. Is It's complicated because he did it to himself, right? It's like Plaxico Burris. He's your friend and you go, yeah. Like, that sucks, bro. You have a bullet wound and you're in jail. That sucks. You got shot and you went to jail. Oh, you did it to yourself. Hmm. <laughs> the gun was illegal. It's very similar decision-making with LeBron going out and saying, uh, there's a trade on the table that involves Buddy Heald. And who else was in that trade from Sacramento? It was Buddy Heald and something else. And then it gets Nick's last minute, and it's Russell Westbrook, with the idea being he was going to shoulder some load from LeBron or LeBron was going to be able to unlock some guy. And, yeah, he's just he's been a crappy GM. He has been. Like, if it's, if it's not for the Cleveland title and Kevin Love working out, we're probably even looking at that differently, too, the way that he left the Cavs. And yeah, I do think that when this is all said and done, and it's kind of like the Siakam conversation, is in the moment it seems more heated and takes seem hotter, right? Because LeBron is now and Jordan is the past. And so whenever somebody takes a, hey, this is the Jordan stance, you got to go, oh, okay. But at the end of the day, we're going to count the rings and Jordan's going to have more. And people will point to all of LeBron's counting stats. And I think that a lot of people will be able to simply say that it was a very different era. And what if Jordan had been in this one in terms of trying to accumulate his counting stats? He had had the sports science, all this different stuff, right? And I don't know how we're going to look at that bubble championship 10 years from now. I already look at it as, I'm sorry, but the most fraudulent NBA title in the history of the game. It's worthless to me. It's very much like Tampa, Tampa Bay made theirs count by going out and winning again. Had the Lightning not won and they continued to choke and not be able to finish the job, that's what we would have looked at it as. And that's kind of how I feel with the Lakers is they stacked, they had a stacked deck. It worked out well for them. They were built for that bubble. They were built for that short tournament. Um, they got incredible buy-in from their team with LeBron because he was basically orchestrating the entire thing. It was built perfectly for him. He literally built himself a championship with that bubble. And it was entertaining for all of us. We're starved for sports content. But go back and look at the teams LeBron beat to get that championship. Go back and look at the minutes played of the guys that were on the floor versus LeBron. It's ugly. It's a, it's a half chip. Maybe. I would say it's even less than that. Anyways, quick break. Then let's come back and talk to the NHL's Ironman for at least today. Keith Yan. Yeah, didn't really love staying up late to watch that game. Like, to start every period that way, it was a pretty tough look. Every single time for the Leafs last night. It was just, hey, Vegas, you guys want to go to the net? Have at it. Samsonov looked good. I guess that's the spin zone. You know, I love asking PR Pete, you know, what's his positive spin zone for the Maple Leafs every day? And uh, Pete hit me with that Tavares wasn't hurt, 
which is good. That is a good thing, Pete. That is true. He didn't stay hurt. Did look painful as hell, though. There's something, I think I mentioned this, but there's something in fighting when you watch the UFC, like when they're doing those calf kicks, there's nerve endings at the back of your leg that if you get it kicked the right way, which I'm guessing that the puck got him in in a similar way, that it just like knocks your foot out of commission. So I wonder if he just felt like, oh, I can't can't put pressure on this foot because it's not working. And the pain would have just been off the charts. It was also a pain to watch. You know, it wasn't Tavares level pain, but it was not fun. (laughs) And it wasn't fun doing the post-game show either. Um, I'm hoping this will change now. Uh, Keith Yandel, still the NHL's Iron Man. Uh, what's up, buddy? How we doing? I'm good, yeah. Still for about five, six more hours. Soaking it all in. Yeah. You don't know. He could get screwed over like you did. No, I don't say that. Yeah. Don't be good man. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want to get felt bad. Uh, so, yeah, man, uh, you're doing this stuff for Sportsnet. It's great. You're doing the broadcast and stuff. Uh, I do actually just want to start by asking about that. Like, how how is this? Because I think this is always whenever I talk to, you know, friends who used to play who have gotten into media, you're in the, the worst period right now where you still feel like a player, you know, you don't want to betray things that were said in the dressing room. You don't want to be overly critical of guys, but then you have uh, the people that are here telling you to give you that stuff. H- how is it? You know what? It's been good. I mean, I think for me, it's just, just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not out there even, I'm not trying to bash anyone or be too critical on anyone except for maybe some coaches, but, um, mm. you know, I think, I, no, I'm just kidding. Talk uh, trash. You know, for me, it's just, it's just talking about the game and mm. you know, I'm trying to you know, spread my love for the game to other people and just having fun with it. And I think uh, with Hanson and Cassie and, and DA, it's been, it's been a great mix so far, so I've, I've enjoyed it for sure. Yeah. What's the hardest part? Uh, probably uh, flying commercial. Oh, that shot's fired at SN. That hurts. <laughs> that, hurts <laughs> that hurts for us. Oh, you know what, though? It kind of makes me feel a little bit better as someone who uh, is not on the highest end of the pay scale the company to know that, you know, they're, they're making you guys do that. It's like, good. Be back there with the commoners. Watch that curtain close, Keith. Like be, be with us and uh, like yeah. know how it feels. All right. No more PJs for you. No more just life of luxury. All right. You have that one was, tiny bag of chips like the rest of us. <laughs> I was, spo- I was spoiled for too long. So I, uh, it's, it's taken me a couple of weeks here to get, to get my humble pie. I, I like picturing you trying to order um, your dinner on the Air Canada flight. <laughs> like, uh, sorry, can I see the menu? They're like, uh, yeah, we have bags of chips. <laughs> Do you want a $30 why isn't, water? Why isn't there wine in my, uh, in <laughs> yeah. my seat waiting for me? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know why. Yeah, it's just uh, it's, it's going to be all right. So, yeah, man, you, uh, you still got that streak. And... Yeah, Phil ties it yesterday. He jumps over the boards, takes the first shift. He gets it done. Um, I, I guess, listen, obviously you want him to break it. It doesn't seem like, uh, yeah, you're ever going to be rooting against a player for a streak like this. So they're all meant to be broken. People are talking about you. Although you probably maybe want to like to hold it just like a little bit longer. But what did it mean for you to hold that record? You know, it, it meant a lot to me. I mean, during the whole, you know, when people started talking about it, I'd say maybe five, six years ago, it was kind of one of those things when I was playing, I didn't like to talk about it too much and just kind of like to go out and play and not really 
I don't know if I didn't want to jinx myself or whatever the case was. I just, for me, it was just kind of, you know, took pride in coming to work every day and uh, being a good teammate, being around the guys. So it was, uh, you know, obviously when it's all said and done, it's something, you know, you look back and, you know, all the people that helped you out along the way and uh, all the trainers and, you know, the staff, all the, you know, the extra mile that they go for guys. So, no, that was just kind of one of those things where I like to reflect on that and think of the, you know, all the help that I got along the way. No, it's just, it's, it's such an incredibly physical sport that it's, yeah, it's kind of difficult to fathom playing that many games in a row. Like it, it really is. Like you look at it and I think it is, um, I don't think it's an underappreciated feat because I do think that hockey fans, whenever it does come up, um, yeah, people talk about it in pretty glowing terms. It is kind of held in very, very high regard. Um, I do love, though, like if someone was going to take it from you, I do love that it's Phil Kessel. And I was talking about this yesterday, how um, I, I have to wonder with him to a certain degree if like everybody trains so hard in this sport and everybody does things a certain way, whether it's, you know, conditioning, off-eye stuff, workouts, camps, whatever – that Phil doing things sort of his way, and this isn't to say that he didn't work hard, although you got to wonder, you know, two American guys both holding the streak, maybe you guys, you know, maybe there is a correlation there. Maybe the American guys aren't playing hard enough. Maybe this is the, the reason for this. But that Phil doing it kind of his way is proof of concept that everyone has not do have to do it exactly the same. No, and it's, you know, I think it's, uh, it's one of those things where, everybody's different and you know I, I remember when I was young in the league played with a guy um and he was like absolutely shredded out of his mind but he was hurt every other week and it was just kind of one of those things and I remember uh Nick Boynton was the guy he said it to me he said yeah he's like you know you, you don't have any body fat on you you're too skinny you're too ripped he goes that's when you get hurt he's like you always gotta have a little extra little extra uh pounds on you or whatever the case is to you know, it's a long season. Your your body, you're flying places. You're on buses. Like you're in awkward. Sitting. Like yeah, I mean that's why guys' hips are so bad. And so, I think for uh, you know, for me anyways, it was kind of just especially towards the end of my career, I wasn't really lifting weights like like crazy. It was more just doing your conditioning and uh, you know, doing the stuff that you know is not gonna get you too too banged up. Yeah. Um... It also helps when you're a physical freak like Phil was or and Phil is shouldn't say was that, yeah. you know, you've got those workouts. It is, it is kind of funny to me now that like we, the way that we do look at Kessel from a, at least a media standpoint, which is, Hey, like this is the lovable guy. This is a funny guy, but yeah, that he is the guy that, you know, can just sort of, uh, I don't want to say dog it, but that, yeah, that he is just a different player in this era, but just like him coming up through the system and like, there was a real moment where people were going like, maybe this guy, I don't want to go say as so far as American Crosby, but like, he was that guy coming up. He was that physical freak. And that does seem to be lost a little bit. Now it's some kind of like is circling back. Now you guys obviously came up through the U S system together. You're like the same age. Do you have a relationship with him? I do. Yeah. I've known Phil a long time. So, um, I, I think the first time I met him was at like a world junior or maybe under 18, um, try out in Lake Placid. That was kind of the first time I had ever met him. And, you know, a guy that I've, uh, I've stayed in touch with over the years and played some all-star games together. And, um, 
he actually's got a place down here in Florida too, so I'm sure once he's uh, retired, I'll see him a little more down here. But um, yeah, just one of those guys I've always kind of kept in touch with, and um, you know, always rooted for as well. Well, he's also a guy that doesn't really particularly love the limelight, and this was even brought up in the post game yesterday by his coach. And yeah, it feels like if he really wanted it, he could have it. But it also works for him because uh, people are always trying to mine information about Kessel. People always want to know stories. And whenever you get one, it's usually pretty good, right? And even Wayne Simmons last night has a quote going, you know, we're talking, he's talking with Phil on the ice and then he's laughing. He can't help it during a game because he is funny. Like there is something about him naturally funny, whether it's the voice or the, yeah, the personality. But do you have a favorite Phil Kessel story? My favorite Phil Kessel stories are kind of uh, of James Van Rien's like imitating him. Um, you know, obviously they they played together, and uh, I think they were really close. So they have a uh, they had a good relationship. And when, when Reamer would would imitate him and and uh, you know kind of just give us what he would say to maybe a coach or a rep, whatever the case is, it was uh, it was always pretty funny to me. I do love that anytime someone usually does tell a firsthand account of a Phil Kessel story that they, they do it in his voice. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah, like he's the most, he's gotta be the most imitated player in recent memory. Like I hadn't even really thought about that, but it's true. Like every single person who usually tells the story does it in that. Tell them like they, they do the almost like, have you ever seen, have you seen the, the show? Randy. Yeah. Randy. Yeah. It's like show him what you do. I, I'm guessing you never saw the 24 seven series that HBO did. Right. Where that comes from? On the Leafs? Yeah. Well, I've seen that clip, yeah. yeah. No, I never watched, uh, watched the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's the thing. Every scene with him was gold. Like, every single scene with him was Electric Factory. <laughs> like, it was what you came for. It was yeah. what you wanted. And it was for that exact reason. Like, Bozak staying at his place, and he's just showing off the room, and Bozak doesn't really want to show it. And he goes in, and he's like, show him what you do. Show him what you do. And sitting at the edge of the bed, just playing video games the entire time. Like, it was, it was yeah. great television. Phil makes for great TV when he wants to do it. So, you're on the broadcast the other night and they asked you something along the lines of hey what are you looking for watching Leafs tonight and you mentioned hey monitoring how they respond to physicality or something along those lines you can correct me kind of if I'm wrong um do you think that they have enough of that because yesterday against Vegas it's just it was a it was kind of a free-for-all around their net and you know they obviously you're such a Jekyll and Hyde team some nights they can look incredible some nights they can just look like just not good enough but the physical element of the Leafs they clearly tried to address it by throwing in de- and dressing a different fourth line with, you know, Clifford and with Wayne Simmons back there. But do you think that they have enough of it? I, I think with, uh, I think it helps their roster um, a lot more having, you know, a guy like Wayne and uh, Clifford in there. Uh, it, it's just, you know, when you're playing against guys like that and you look at the lineup sheets before the game and you see, uh, you know, guys that are tough, the guys that are going to make it difficult on you all night. It's kind of one of those things that doesn't make for a fun night. But, um, yeah, I mean, I still think that teams should have uh, should have some grit, and, you know, especially a team that has, you know, four or five superstars like, like the Leafs do, where, you know, you have, to, you have to be worried about them. You don't want other teams taking liberties on them. So uh, I, I like their lineup a lot more when they got a little meat in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that happened the other night, and it was nice to see them stick up for each other. And it was like Morgan Riley, who's first in a pile after 
uh, the rookie, Nick Robertson, gets absolutely obliterated by a big hit. Um, but yeah, we still haven't kind of seen maybe a little bit more of that. Maybe we will. I don't know how they're going to stick with it, but it does feel like they're going to be kind of rotating guys through their bottom six. Um, what was the book on them when you guys played them? Uh, it was always kind of, you, you just wanted to make it uncomfortable for them. Um, you knew that they were a you know, highly skilled, fast team. And, uh, you know, if you get a team like that, an easy game, it's going to be, it's going to be a, uh, not a fun night for your, your team. So, it was uh, the the book out on them was always just play hard and and uh, you know make it uncomfortable. Yeah, and like listen, I'm trying to read between the lines a little bit of what you're saying there because it just does feel like that has been the case. Is that teams try to play them extremely physically or with some added physicality and seeing how they respond to it? And I think that a lot of people as observers at times feel as though they don't always respond the best way f- to it. Yeah, that, I mean, I, th- I think you also have to play the game that your team's set up to play, and they're they're a highly skilled team that can score and they can play fast. And, you know, I, I don't think you can get away from that too much, but I also think having, you know, a, a fourth line or, you know, you, you can put a guy on any one of those lines where, I mean, you look back in the day, like Gretzky and those guys, they always played with a tough guy because, you know, they didn't want anything uh, anything to happen. And I think uh, I think for them, even just having a guy, whether he's on their line or on their bench, it'll help them out. I think that's kind of that's especially interesting because now, like this era, right, where we're in 2022 and the enforcer has been so much more limited. Um, it is kind of surprising to hear from a guy that is just like recently retired that something like that still matters. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if if you know, if I'm Austin Matthews and, you know, I'm, I'm, the GM comes to me and asks me who I want on my fourth line, I'm I'm going to tell you a guy like, uh, uh, you know, Ryan Reeves or, you know, obviously Tom Wilson's a, a different breed where he can he can play on your first line and also be a physical threat. So I, I think I think having a guy or two on every team is, uh, is going to help you in the long run. So last one. Um... What do you think of that Coyote Stadium? I think it's going to be cool, actually. Um, obviously, uh, you know, everyone, you know, the amount of fans uh, is mm-hmm. kind of right now everyone's dogging it a little bit, but I, I think it'll be a fun place to play. And, uh, you know, I've spent some time down by ASU and know it's a lot of fun. So I think the visiting teams are going to have some fun down there. And I think I think guys are going to like it. Yeah, the visiting teams are going to be fine because they're going to golf, and that's going to be great. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would just imagine that when you're sharing the facilities with the college kids and that maybe there's more fans at the college kids' games, that that could rub the certain guys the wrong way? I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, everyone there, like, like those kids on those teams are, are going to love, you know, being around those guys. And, you know, I know a couple kids on that ASU team where mm-hmm. – you know, they're students of the game where they're going to be watching practices and, and watching games and seeing how guys get ready. So it's going to help them uh, along the way too. So, you know, I don't hate, obviously it's not ideal having, you know, 5,000 fans, but uh, I think it'll be a cool setup for a year or two. Yeah. It'll, it'll be cool when big teams are in town, right? Like when the Leafs go there, if someone was messaging me the other day, like the tickets are like 200 bucks. And I went, yeah, that seems reasonable. That seems right. You make a trip down, it's going to be a packed house. It'll have a different kind of energy to it. Like maybe, more of just a junior hockey feel, uh, which could be very, very fun. Uh, 
I don't know about some of the other nights though. When like the Dallas Stars are in town, uh, what what is that going to look like? Yeah, and how night versus Columbus? <laughs> yeah, like I don't know how those guys are going to love being there. Also, I I did wonder just as you were talking about. Who's who? Do you think's more famous, Shane Doan's kid on ASU, or uh, any Arizona Coyotes player in Arizona? Um, I'll probably say Doner's kid. Yeah, I think Just so too. Uh, yeah, I he, think so too. He, he, he might even be the most famous in his family right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe he's probably he's got, at least he's got a chance. Hey, uh, Keith, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, keep doing great work on television, and yeah, just let it be. Just remember that next time you're on coach, like. Uh, like, I like that. Like that. That makes the rest of us happy, knowing that you're back there. All right. All right. I'm. I'm glad one person's happy. <laughs> See you, buddy. Thanks for making yeah. time, Keith Yandel. Right. Uh, still the NHL's Iron Man. Um, listen again. You have to read between the lines on some of those answers and trying to make them uncomfortable. Like, of course, right? And this is what I'm talking about. About you know being in that that zone. You just clearly doesn't want to sewer anybody. You obviously have to play your game. But it seems pretty clear that this is the MO on the Leafs. And part of that, too, should be noted from a positive standpoint. I'll say this to my little buddy Pete, who, you know, his heart, his little tiny heart breaks every time a former player comes on and goes, yeah, they're not physical enough. He goes, yes, they are. They'll be fine. He sips his iced coffee, shakes his hand. He's shaking, lifting it to his lip, to his mouth that it's a lot of teams can't outskill the Leafs, right? And if you start playing their game, you're going to end up losing. So that just needs to be acknowledged in this conversation. But two things. One, last night, again, another reminder of just how easy it can be to get offense against these guys in a game where the other team plays heavy and has some speed. Like Vegas just got to that net and said, we are going to have a time around here. Enjoy your golf the next day, fellas. Enjoy seeing the sights around Vegas, but you're not coming out of here with a win. And that still does replicate more playoff hockey. Skill does tend to become a little less important. Great players still win, but it is an equalizer. And the physicality is a way to do that. And some nights the Leafs just do not respond very well to it. And last night was one of those games. Like you can take them off their game. You can shake that team. You can have stretches where you, again, make the playing field a little bit more even. And so, yeah, when a guy who literally was just in the league and Keith Yandel says before a game, hey, uh, I'm going to try to see how physical they are tonight. When he says that, a guy like Austin Matthews would want someone like Ryan Reeves in the lineup. When it is talked about that their approach to the team was to try to make them uncomfortable. And again, this is that is player speak for a lot of different things. And a lot of guys would say that about a lot of different teams. Right. It's 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 the puck. It is a bit of a pucks in deep answer. But that is like it just it is there for the Leafs. And it is going to be kind of interesting to see what the complexion of the fourth line continues to be, how they try and inject that into the lineup. And it's why I feel there is absolutely unequivocally no question to me that Jordy Ben will play a role on this team. That, that he will be one of this team's six defensemen. They keep, they've continued to try to do it. Whether And like this even predates Kyle Dubas, but they've done it with like the Roman Polak types. They've done it with the Ilya Labushkin types. They like having someone with that presence on the blue line. And you really missed it last night. And listen, their blue line sucked. Justin Hall had a bad game. 
Victor Mete, every time he goes back for a puck retrieval, you hold your breath and go, oh, my God, someone support, support. But Timothy Lilligren's not changing that. You want to see him come back to the lineup. You want to see what he can do. But, yeah, Morgan Riley, Timothy Lilligren, Rasmus Sandin, Victor Mete. Yeah, they're going to need a little bit more meat and potatoes back there. And hopefully Jordy Ben can come back and actually provide a little bit of that, especially while Muzzin's out of the lineup and God knows what is going to happen to him or whether or not he can even withstand that physical toll. But I, I do think that that is likely to be the thing that we continue to talk about with the Leafs this year. So long as the goaltending holds up, so long as they get what they're getting right now from Ilya Samsonov, I got it right that time. Hell yeah. We're, we're making progress here. If they get goaltending like they got last night, then that won't be an issue. That won't be a point of discussion. He's going to have his dips and everyone's pointed to his like first 10 games of the year with Washington and how it was up and down. It was up and down. He was, he started the year great. And then the rest of the year, he was like the worst goalie in the NHL when it came to slot chances. And he cratered and his save percentage finished below 900 and Washington said, yeah, we would rather do the dumbest thing in hockey, which is pay a good to mediocre starting goaltender, big money on a big term, rather than bring you back on a flyer cheap deal and roll the dice with you. Like that's a pretty damning indictment. But if, if he plays this way and Matt Murray can come back and what, give them 20 games of average goaltending and Samsonov runs away with the net, then that won't be a big story. It probably will be something that they want to address come deadline, maybe. But to me, it would still feel more, unless it's a disaster, like they try to do the trade they did during the North season where they add a, a, a David Riddick type, a, a better version of a Riddick, right? Third, fourth round pick, something in there, mid-round pick for some goaltending depth so that you don't have a scenario where Shalgren's in net. But to me, from watching last night, and from seeing what they have so far and thinking about the reinforcements right now, being unsure about Jake Muzzin, who knows how good Jordy Ben is going to look. It's not like this was someone that had a ton of different offers from a ton of different places and was like in high demand or was a guarantee to be in a top six. And knowing that Lilligren is the replacement for Hall, probably eventually that, yeah, they're going to need to add some thump back there. Bourne always talks about how you can't just add it with one player. I agree. But maybe they can figure out a complexion on that fourth line and add a little bit more with the blue line this season. That that can at least help with that. That can at least feel a little bit meaningful. Because, yeah, it's, it's just really hard to envision it continuing the way that it's been going. Anyways, uh, let's take a quick break. Let's tell you what lines look good for this weekend because, again, the show is red hot and uh, what we missed. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, quickly, before we do what we missed, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app. You got to be 19, you got to live on Ontario, and you got to play responsibly, all right? And yeah, I am a big play responsibly guy. Not to the point that Pete and his dad are at, where they're, you know, cashing out bets. Early on, I, your dad, you tell me your dad stinks at fantasy football too. Did you see where your dad, the, 
Uh, no, he actually uh, recently uh, surpassed oh, me in the standings. So, uh, yeah, but you stink at fantasy football too, like father, like whoa, son. Whoa, Apple from the tree situation here. I don't know. Yeah, you don't know? The whole thing was he traded for Brees Hall. Yeah. He traded Devil Singletary for Brees Hall. And very questionable move, but I think he might be thinking like... Devin Singletary for Brees Hall straight traded away on? Brees Hall for Devin Singletary? Yeah, that can't be the whole trade. But Brees Hall's injured though. Well, wait, he traded him when he yeah, was injured? Wait, yeah, are you, after the injury. Oh, yeah. Is it a keeper league? Yeah, it's a keeper league. So that's I think that's what my dad's oh, thinking. Okay. But like... No, I like means... your dad. This is forward thinking. <laughs> you know what, though? Because your dad, he's like you. You should tank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys stink. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's how you stay employed, you and yeah. your father. Is It's just like, hey, what are we doing here? We got to rebuild. We got to yeah. rebuild. We got to keep our jobs. Hey, we, you're, you guys are like the Sam Presti of fantasy. Where you're like, yeah. hey, we just accumulate more picks. He's got 19 first-round yeah. picks. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, some lines that stood out. I'll, I'm going to start today. I actually, this is dangerous. Maybe I'm feeling myself because... The kid was hot last weekend. Absolutely stacked out the bankroll. But I love this weekend. There's like, when we were doing this, like we do the, hey, which one of these lines pops from a, wow, I'm surprised that's a line standpoint. I think the Dolphins minus three, that's too short. You're on the road. Who cares? Detroit looks like defunct. They're moribund. What, what are they doing now? Like it's over. I actually think that they're going to be in... Uh, yeah, the Dan Campbell thing has run its course. He's lost the locker room. The Lions are in full quit mode. They had how many turnovers against Cowboys? Four? Five? Did they have five turnovers in that game? Cowboys didn't even really play well, and they rolled them. Cowboys had unfortunate turnovers at horrible times, and they still rolled them. So, yeah, I like the Dolphins minus three. That stuck out to me. I would have thought that that would be closer to like a six and a half. I like the Jets, home like dogs. And the Brees Hall thing is a huge, like, don't, you know, your dad knows, Pete. Uh, he's on it. He knows the impact of losing a Brees Hall for the season. There's no doubt about it. What's your dad's name, Michael? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Michael knows. But I don't think, I just don't think the Patriots are trustworthy enough to be laying any points on the road after what we just saw against the Bears. And, like, they're in turmoil. Like, this is a... Uh, the, the Zappy Mac Jones thing. We're going to see how tight a ship the Patriots run here. If they still got it, if they can still run the tight ship, because it feels like this is going to get some leaks and guys going to have to pick a camp. And you think like Mac Jones didn't look very chill when he got pulled from that game yesterday. I didn't watch it. I was watching Raptors and Leafs, but did see that. Um, this is probably a dumb one, but I don't know why the Raiders, like, yeah, the Raiders had some bad moments, and it was a closer game against... Uh, you guys jump in here if I hit any of the ones that you have. Was the Jets yours, Jobo? You, you've hit one. I had two, but the Jets was one of them. Yeah, but the Patriots. you're a Saints fan. I am a Saints fan. Raiders going to kick your ass. Saints suck, and they're going to roll over. Like, that whole division is a rollover division. That's a whole bunch of teams. Other, Falcons are the only ones that care. Saints are done. They're not doing anything I, I with Andy say Dalton. The, the Saints turn the ball over the most in the league right now. Yeah. Two pick split, sixes split between interceptions and fumbles. So the Raiders are going to take advantage of that. I'm not too confident on the Saints this week. I'm not going to lie. I, I hope we can pull something out, but the, the turnovers have been 
bad. You hope we, hey? Like you got you hope. I'm pulling <laughs> a Pete. I'm pulling a sneaky Pete. Yeah, you guys really do. I'm like, pulling a sneaky You guys Pete. have a lot of jobs. I know that you do some other things in the building. Pete's, you know, part of that. You don't know what one. I do on Sundays. But yeah, but it's it is interesting to know <laughs> that you would come all this way to work here when uh, you have a position with the Saints. Yeah, I just think that the the Andy Dalton thing is also done. And what's the? This is such a hilarious quarterback tandem. Like Jameis yeah. and Andy Dalton is. It's it's literally like it's the same person. It's just well, no. It's it's like when you have a fantasy team and you spend a ton of money on Lamar Jackson last year, and then he goes down, and you got to go to the waiver wire, and you go, "Who's there?" And you go, "Oh, maybe Jameis can do something. Maybe he'll get stats because he'll throw. He'll turn it over a couple of times, but he's going to throw all game long. He's the garbage time QBs. I just don't, I don't trust the same situation. And then lastly, I can't believe I'm saying this. I like this one the most. My Seattle Seahawks. Minus three, that Giants team. Giants, they deserve respect. And everyone's been doing this thing with, hey, the Giants are going to fall off, and then they keep doing it. They've, they've got general mojo, but this is the mojo game. These are the two teams that everybody keeps waiting to kind of tail off, and these are the two teams that seem to have the mojo. Hawks have every single one of their draft picks that they drafted this year is killing it for them. It's, it's a special draft. And the Giants have the Dayball thing and the Saquon resurgence. This is going to be a fun game. I would argue, like, go through the list including Packers bills, which who cares? That's going to be Bill's gonna, it's a slaughter. That is unequivocally the best game of the weekend. And it's two teams that most people had being complete non-factors, but I like the Hawks. All right, Seattle, they're going to win the NFC West. Gino, <laughs> I'm in. I didn't think I was in until now, but now I'm in. I'm fully in. I'm off the rebuild. I'm off the tank. Seahawks, actually, we, you know, let's we. all just we it. <laughs> we, we, we have the Broncos picks, okay? So we are looking good. I'm all about it. I'm on the Seahawks bandwagon. I'm back. I was gone for a little while. I was despondent after the Russell Wilson trade. Things could not have been, this is incredible. This is, again, a person in the breakup that you think is never going to recover and then ends up dating a supermodel and the girl on the other side can't figure it out. You know, she's the one that ends up being jealous. This is an unbelievable upset. This is the upset of the NFL. This is the upset of the century. Anyway, so those are the lines that I love this weekend. It's a, it's a loaded, it's a packed one for me. Did I mention any that stuck up for you, Pete? Because you've had your phone held up. Like you are staring at that phone. <laughs> like you are, you are, you guys. He's locked You in. guys can't just put the phones down. Well, no, eh? My like, computer died. So what? So did mine. So I just have your brain. Like, I'm looking at my picks and everything on here mm -hmm. but um you mentioned the seahawks giants game yeah. i agree that might be aside from bills packers might be the game of the week but what side do you want because you're mr giant uh, i like the giants that's yeah. right okay but, uh they lost their right tackle evan neal last mm -hmm. game first round I, picks that's, that's a bit concerning for me and i think uh, that could affect possibly the running game um you mentioned how these two teams like they're riding high you know who will fall mm -hmm. off first and maybe it is the Giants this week. So I'm staying away from that game. I'm staying away. Okay. And uh, You're abandoning your Giants. And uh, you're not going to like this pick. But uh, plus 440. You always say that games. to me. You always say uh, you're not going to like this pick. This is kind of your like, this is your gather now. You know, like, okay, let me hear it. What am I not going to like? Plus 440. Green Bay Packers money line. Sunday yeah. Night Football. Versus the Bills. Yeah, they're going to get smashed. You're right. I hate that bet. Yes, yeah. but they Aaron might Rogers, lose by 60. Yeah. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers says, uh, I'm not worried, you know, about the season after yeah. the game last week or just like this past Sunday. And, you know, this is the reigning MVP. You know, this is uh, this is Aaron Rodgers. And I yeah. haven't fully bought into them being uh, to him being washed or to the Packers not being a contending team. Mm. And maybe they're able to put something together against the Bills plus 440 like 
that's plus money right there. I love plus money. And this maybe this is like a Cleveland defense anytime TD, you know? Uh, who knows? Here's what so, I will tell yeah. you. Um, this, is, this is what I hate about the, the plus money gang is you guys throw these things out there, like plus 440. It's, there's no accountability here, you know? They lose and you go, it was plus 440. What did you expect? It was a, <laughs> it was a flyer. It was a long shot. Um, the Bills have the number one defense in football. And they're rested. Uh, you know me. I correctly said yesterday what I say. I'm worried about the Patriots game. Mm-hmm. Too many people. Mm-hmm. Consensus. So I'm against groupthink. So I like that you're kind of zagging against the group. But no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Here's the thing. Could you could you talk me into a cover, like a backdoor Packers cover? Yeah, maybe. But Rodgers is a double-digit underdog for the first time in his career. Yeah. Yeah. But you know why? Because for the first time in his career, his team is <laughs> terrible, like, awful. He's got a bad team. Their defense isn't good enough. And Josh Allen, to think that he is not going to just toy with them with the extra week of preparation for that Bills team, I, I like. I just don't. I don't see the game script here. Like uh, you're right, they're going to need turnovers. Josh Allen's going to have to have a bad game. The Bills are going to have to play down to their competition. But again, this is a this is a night game, right? Right. Yeah. Sunday yeah. night football. Yeah. I don't. I don't think the Bills are going to play down. Get caught slipping on a mon- on a Sunday night football game where they're at home. Uh, they just beat the Chiefs. They got Aaron Rodgers in town, and Josh Allen, the you know one of the most competitive freaks in the NFL, is going to not want to make a statement against Aaron Rodgers, the former MVP, and then him trying to make the statement and the narrative of being the MVP. This, you know. I'm going to say it. This is the worst pick of all time. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this well, is, I had the best cowards parlay of all time last week. This is the worst pick of all time, Pete. You did it. I used to have my Giants. Like I, if maybe no. if you want to play it a bit safe, go with the Giants. Yeah. You know, but lucky for you, this is an official bit, pick uh, time. This is like this oh, is yeah, a this line is that a stands line out. I like you know, yeah, it's yeah. a line that stands yeah, out. That's Tuesdays. It's not pick yeah. day. It's this plus line. Plus four forty. It stands out to me. I see yeah. it plus four twenty now on uh, DraftKings. So oh, really? maybe it's okay. starting to come down. Maybe you're swaying the you're swaying the market. Yeah, public Pete. He's just public Pete. All right, Jobo. The the two teams that I was looking at. I'm I'm pretty surprised the Jets and the Giants are underdogs. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to win. The Giants and the Seahawks is going to be a really good game. I'm really excited for that. I think it's going to be Saquon against Kenneth Walker. Uh, have Kenneth Walker in fantasy. He's been massive for me. So Everyone's thrilled to hear that. I know. I, I just wanted to let everybody know. Yeah. I Everyone have Kenneth Walker in fantasy. They're like, Jobo, and give us the Amanda update. Don't be... No, telling, no, no, yeah. no, no. I'm giving you the Giants update. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be a really good game. I'm Giant surprised love. the the Giants and the Jets are underdogs. Yeah. What is going on here? <laughs> What's going on? Is you tell me. You're the one with your phone open. All I'm just you talking guys... about Kenneth Walker and Saquon yeah, Barkley, JD. Yeah. You trying to win money in your fantasy league? Take out Amanda? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> trying to buy NHL 23. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go outside, yeah. guys. Uh, <laughs> I already got FIFA. I've already been playing that. Go outside. Go outside. Don't go outside. Yeah, I know. You, you gotta go outside, yeah. boy. All right. Like you saw the outside. clip on social media yesterday. I haven't gone outside. In no, I know. Months. You look pasty, and <laughs> it's yeah, it's not a good reflection on you. At least Pete, you know, was going to the game the other night. You went to a Leafs game so far this year too. But I have. Yeah, this is my advice to both of you. Just go outside. Go do things outside. Meet some friends, IRL, as you call it. Anyways, uh, what did we miss today? Oh, sorry. That was uh, Time for Action, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+. plus. Ontario only. Please play responsibly. Yes, please play responsibly. All right, what did we miss, fellas? Well, JD, the Carey Price retirement is looming on the horizon, but nobody's really sure when it's going to happen. And when he was asked about it yesterday, he had this to say about the situation. 
for this team? Uh, well, we'll have to, uh, you know, like to kind of really just take it step by step. I don't, uh, you know, I don't have like a plan to retire right at this moment. I'm just trying to, uh, you know, right now, my goal is to just be pain free from day to day. You know, I'm still having some issues getting up and down stairs and, you know, carrying my kids up and down stairs is, uh, is difficult. So my first priority is just to get my body in a, in a place to where I'm pain free in my day to day living and go from there. Are you anticipating a return for Price? What are you talking about? Did you not hear that? No, I heard it. His career is over. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah okay. like I'm just making sure. He, I just want to be able to carry my kids up and down the stairs. Yeah, that's retirement talk. Yeah. He's retired. He's done. What What is he going to come back to the Habs for? The Habs are five years away from a relevant moment. Like, <laughs> they're done. Unless they luck out and play the Leafs in the first round, Habs are screwed. They're in a full rebuild. And Carey Price is done. Um, he's having trouble walking upstairs. This is somebody who's had injuries the... Like, the injuries have accumulated for Carey Price. And now how old is he? Is he 35? Yeah, he's 35 years old. So what? The premise is that he's going to come back at 36? Like, he's not playing this year. And so what? He's going to come back and potentially risk hurting his body even more when he's... Man, he's starting to talk about post-playing career priorities with his children. And like, hey, Carey Price has that. Right. You know, no one's ever going to question him. No one's ever going to be like, oh, you don't have your priorities straight. Like, again, if, if this is, this isn't a, uh, yeah, this is not a questionable situation. This isn't like, you know, remember when Derek Rose said it where he was like, yeah, I want to, you know, walk my daughter down the aisle someday. And you're like, what are you talking? I'm like, okay. Like you, you just took that contract though, right? Like you can play. This isn't even like a Kawhi situation where you go, okay, you know, you have been hurt, but maybe. Mm -hmm. run the same rules as the team. This is a guy who seen, sounds legitimately hurt, who's had a lot of attrition on his body, who is a, no doubt about it, Hall of Famer, who is, yeah, one of the most accomplished players in one of the most, you know, prestigious markets in hockey history, who is done. It's over though. Like, and I don't, the, the thing is, is Habs won't say, Habs fans won't say it out loud. They're, they're okay with it. Like nobody's waiting for him to come back because Habs fans know where the team is at. And they'd rather have the cap space than for Carey Price to return. Mm -hmm. I think everybody is on board with that. So, yeah, Carey Price, he had a great career. Maybe he has, like, a ceremonial start or something along those lines at some point in his career, but I doubt it. I think he's over. I think it's done. And, yeah, uh, good luck to him. What's next? Yeah, that's right. I think the only way I'd see him coming back is if he made, like, a ceremonial start just for the last game and then I, send see, him The thing is, the is sunset, like, you don't really do that in hockey, yeah, right? Like, it's, it's just, like, it's not... This isn't the NBA where yeah. they, like, bring Vince Carter on the floor to save like a minute the Raptors, he, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, Yankees, out of the playoffs. Michael Kay, who's the broadcaster yeah. on Yes Network, went off on Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman after the Yankees got swept by the Astros, and this is kind of how it went. The Yankees have a mental skills coach. He put together a video of the 2004 Red Sox coming back from 03 down. Yeah, this is so good. How? How? In you, baseball God's name. That that we need that can drop. Can you be so tone deaf as an organization as if to do that? <laughs> How can you be that tone deaf? I mean, talk about bad optics. 
Are you out of your mind? Do you know that I talked to three players from the 04 team? They were outraged by the fact that their failure was being used as motivation for the 2022 team. How could you do that? That too. It would be like somebody from Lincoln's family. And you, 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 you're trying to teach them about shootings in theaters, and you use their dad as an example of how to avoid it. I mean, are you out of your mind? Okay. And then to make it worse, Eduardo Perez. No, take it down. I just wanted to cut there. Uh, that, like, I, this had me in tears this morning. This is just so, so good. First of all, Michael K is a legend. But you know how you, and, and I really do believe this, how you stay on top like him, how you be great at that job is you care. You still care. And you hear it in his voice when he's delivering this, right? Where he's, you say, are you out of your mind? He's despondent talking about this. He probably prepared. He probably had his thoughts laid out. And then he's so mad that he went and talked about if you're teaching people about shooting people in theaters and you did it with Lincoln's head. I, that has got to be one of the worst references I have ever heard in the history of anything. Like that was horrific. Play that part again at the end, Austin. Like the, if you wanted to teach people about shooting in theaters, you wouldn't bring Lincoln's head. Just play it. And you, you, you're trying to teach them about shootings in theaters. And Who you wants that? dad as an example of how to avoid it. Who's, I mean, are you out of your Abe mind? Lincoln has been dead for quite some time. <laughs> it would be pretty astonishing to bring in one of his children uh, to teach them about shooting in theaters. I just, like, where did that come from in the recesses of his brain? He must have just watched the Lincoln movie or did some Lincoln tour, read some book. Something Lincoln happened that day for him to go to that reference where it was the first pull from his brain. But yeah, it's hilarious. It makes that story so much sweeter that the Yankees compounded their failure with embarrassing their franchise even further than a sweep to a team that like this. The Astros are supposed to be their kind of like modern rival, right? Because they keep ending up in ALC yet. They keep facing them in the playoffs and the Astros keep beating the brakes off of them. So to kind of link the two rivals into embarrassing moments in Yankees history is just chef's kiss. So perfect. So great. So delectable. Thank you, Michael K for that rant. And yeah, we're going to need the Abraham Lincoln thing too. Cause I mean, are you out of your mind? Yeah. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. Everything about this is so good. And yeah, the idea that this mental skills coach, like, you need a mental skills coach. You got to get the mental skills coach for the mental skills coach. This is so much of those industries, by the way, too. Um, these, like, consultant-ish types that come in and give you a piece of... It's like they don't take a second to learn what the product is, who they're doing this for. They just, you know, this would be good. So self-indulgent and annoying. Ugh. That you would do that. Hey, watch the guys from your team. <laughs> Imagine being Aaron Judge. In that room, and they're playing those clips. Like, or somebody else who just, like, Anthony Rizzo, a guy with a deep understanding of the history of baseball. Imagine Harrison Bader, who's from there, who cares about the Yankees, who grew up a Yankees fan. I'm going to watch that. They go, remember this? And now go out there and lose, you losers. What's next? Well, uh, speaking of people being out of their minds, uh, two referees following the yeah, Tampa Bay Buccaneers one. lost to the Carolina Panthers chased down Mike Evans down the tunnel and uh, asked for his autograph. Yeah. 
and Mike Evans obliged, and now the league has launched a review into the incidents. And I'm just curious, J.D., which athlete would this be acceptable for, if at all? None. Uh, unless it's their last game. Mm. If it's your last game and a ref gets an autograph from you, who cares? The impact is done, right? They're not treating you any differently. Um, this is clearly a only a discussion point because you got caught situation. There's no way that refs weren't doing this on the regular because look at the comfort level in which everyone involved treats it. Mike Evans doesn't bat an eye. He just immediately goes to it. The refs are like, Mike, Mike, you know, they, they, they got, this has clearly happened a lot. So part of me goes, all right, well, if it is this regular, then how big a deal is it in terms of like the impact on the field? Because that's what we're all afraid of, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the quiet part out loud is that these refs in some way are influenced by favors that players do for them. And this could manifest itself sometime down the line into a Mike Evans call. I think it's a little overstated. Because is it a bad look for the NFL? hundred percent. Sports betting is huge. Okay. We are in the sports betting era where everybody is going to be looking for something to point at a league and say, what the hell is this? Like mm-hmm. I just did with the TJ Dillashaw thing, which was actually smart. It was good. <laughs> that was very good. Thank you. Um, but yeah, you just can't have refs in public getting gifts from players. Yeah. Sorry. I don't care what that's for. If I'm the NFL, I immediately come out and go, yeah, it was for make a wish. And someone grabbed the ref and that's what happened. And then just do a cover up, just do a cover up and move on. We'll be fine. It's Twitter. Everybody will move off the story in like 10 minutes. Anyways, there'll be a new story that gets everybody outraged. You tell me you guys, are the outrage police, you're always mad about something. Something out there is bad. What, what is it today? You know, you'll be mad about something else tomorrow. It'll be all right. You're all you're permanently on social media plugged in. You guys are just in the matrix over here. Like I said, you get your phones open the entire time. Use your brains. That's my message for today. Use your brains. Leave a review. Five stars. Share it. Subscribe. We'll see you tomorrow.